Let me ask you to take your Bibles once again and turn with me again to Ecclesiastes, this time to chapter 11. This, this evening we'll be reading chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes uh, beginning in verse 7. We'll continue on through chapter 12 uh, in verse 8, realizing that it's, it's risky to go back to this book again two times, two servings in one Sunday is, is a bit much, uh, but... We trust that the, the Holy Spirit intending these words for us can be read on the same day, can be profitable for us. And even as we, we recognize what the preacher is, is doing in these passages, what is he is trying to teach, is he is not saying exactly the same thing again. It may feel a bit like it, but he's, he's adding to it. He is, he is drawing our, our eyes in a different direction, calling us to think about things that are important, even as we recognize our finitude, our our temporality, our, our, the shortness of life in this world, that we're also called to more at the same time. The, uh, one of the interesting things about the time in which we live is the, the rapidity of, of technological advancements. They are everywhere. And I love technology. Technology, though, does not love me. Uh, and you may have experienced this as well. Technology is a, can be a harsh taskmaster. It when you become dependent upon it, when you rely upon it, when uh, it, it does so many wonderful things for you, but then when it doesn't, you feel the pain. But that's not the only kind of pain that, that, that you can experience from technology is whenever technology fails you, but also when technology does too much for you. There is and there has been a search for immortality that, that has been a constant feature of humanity, you can think of the the quest for the fountain of youth. Think of of the 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 trend towards healthy living, not opposed to to, to youth, not opposed to to living uh, and, and being healthy. But advances in medical technology, some of you are exposed to this day by day to new technologies that you have to keep up with that have the potential to make people's lives radically better. But you, it's it's gone beyond that to the level of the science fiction. The ideas of things like singularity. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's this, this idea that, that those at the top of the, the, the technology world are working. And some of this you're beginning to see with the advances in chat GPT and other sort of artificial intelligence that really have moved to a different level of what they can do for you. And I think some of these things are very profitable. Uh, this sermon was actually done just by me typing in a few prompts into chat GPT. Um, some of you have no idea why that's funny. Um, but uh, Ray Kurzweil, a Google engineer, you may have heard of him. He's one who's advanced this idea of singularity. He has, he has uh, prophesied that by the year 2045 that we will be able to upload our brains into computers, that we will achieve immortality. Sounds insane, but as I mentioned this morning, it, this was the same thing that Augustine was dealing with in his age. 400 A.D., that, that this is what is taking place in the Roman Empire. He is talking about this in, in the city of God when he says that this was, this was how gods were made, is that, that Romans were very much for the idea of achieving immortality and very much, I, I think, probably not different at all from what, what, what um, some of the, these, these engineers are saying today that they're trying to do. It's the same thing is that I know it's not going to be quite the same as living in the body, but some way there's this way to live on. And they don't know how that takes place, this movement from one place to the other. But, but, but in the ancient world, what happened is that you would be a, a general and you would have great conquest and, and your victory would be celebrated and people would remember you and you might become the, the emperor. 
And, and as becoming an emperor, eventually you could be so powerful and have su- such great accomplishments that you get to become deified, that you would become God and people would worship you. And that is, in fact, what was taking place, is that, that they were being worshipped. They were living on. Even though the men were dead and gone, they were remembered and they were being prayed to as gods. And people remembered them in that way. And so, so you, you see there that this, this, this drive towards immortality is something that, that all of us have this, this, this desire to see some way that we can just go on living. Well, again, the preacher in Ecclesiastes wants to ruin the party. He wants to take away any kind of hope that there's this possibility that you can just go on forever in this body in the way that it is. He wants to take you to a different place. And so let me ask you to, to once again stand to give honor to the reading of God's word. We'll read from Ecclesiastes, again, beginning in chapter 11, verse 7, down through 12, 6. The preacher says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eye to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut." When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray again. Oh, Lord God, we ask you for that understanding which only your Spirit might give. That we would believe what is before us. And in believing, Lord, we might be brought nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be made holier in this life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this is an interesting chapter, an interesting section, the way it's broken up. It's interesting because it's bringing, again, to the forefront this idea that we, we saw this morning in Ecclesiastes, this idea that, that light is short, that life is short, and it does so in a way that, that exposes new areas that, again, are meant to make us uncomfortable. He points out in the beginning here in verses 7 and 8 that, that, that life can be a good thing, but life is passing. He says, light is sweet, it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. And he gives here a contemplation of really the whole of life. Not necessarily everyone's life in exactly the same way, but but the general scope of life. You live in this world, and the bulk of people and their experiences, past, present, and future, are, are going to experience a number of days that are good, that they can they can be enjoyed, that there is there's an occasion for rejoicing in them. 
There are good things that we experience. There are pleasures that, that are part of our life that we want more of. It's not normal to want pain. It's not normal to ask for suffering. It's not something that, that, that you, you think in someone who, who seeks out these things that they're, that they're okay. They're not. It's right to, to want life to, to, to feel good, not to experience pain. And so he recognizes that, even celebrates that, but he, he gives this reminder with that. He says, rejoice, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. He just says, let's be real about life. Some days are going to be painful. Some days you're going to wake up with a headache and go to bed with a headache. And it's never going to, 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 to wane in the middle. Some days you're, you're going to have high expectation. It's going to start great, but you don't get out the door before something falls apart. Some days you, you, you go in thinking and expecting that that kind of day will go on forever. And then you find out that every day forward is going to be different. We have to know that and we have to, to face that. He wants us to remember there again. Remember the, the word vanity is not the best translation. I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just in, insert the word vapor or mist or something else so that we get the sense of that. But when he says all is vanity, what he's really saying is that all is passing. It is a temporary situation. The good days, the bad days. Yes, life is good and can be very good. Yes, it's good to be alive. It, yes, it's good to be alive many years, to have a long life and to enjoy them all. But these days are not going to last. But he doesn't tell you that in order to make you despair. He tells you that not because he's a grumpy old cynic, but because he's being a realist. He wants you to not be overwhelmed by the good so that you forget the bad. And this is one of the things that's actually happened. This is, this is a great deal of research on this. If, if, you, um, if you've ever heard of the, the uh, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, he's done some really great work on a number of different areas. But he, one of the things he's pointed out is that that young people today have very little familiarity with pain and with, with hard work. They expect it always to be comfortable. And uh, I don't know if you remember this thing called boredom. Um, it used to be something that we learned to manage well. We didn't have immediate entertainment. There wasn't a way to instantly fill every moment with something that's pleasurable. So I could be busy with something, things slow down and pause. And some of you grew up and uh, you were dropped off uh, at school and then your parent was supposed to pick you up. And you would come out to the parking lot, wait for your parent to pick you up, and you might wait 10 minutes, and then 15 minutes, and 30 minutes, and 45 minutes, and uh, you might wait an hour, and your parent doesn't show up. And eventually, somebody will come out and say, oh, yeah, your mom finally called me, and she said that she'll be here in just a little, little while longer. It's going to take another 30 minutes. Um, I don't know if any of you had the, the, the benefit of growing up a son of a farmer. My life was, many days of my life were spent with my father picking me up and saying, come on, let's go out, let's go out to the place, we're going to go do some work. Uh, and then my dad would get on a tractor, and I would sit in a truck. And it had an old AM radio station that didn't really work. There was an 8-track uh, deck in there, um, which had no tapes for, and they all got eaten if you put them in there anyway. And I would spend hours just looking at rocks. I would walk around, and I might see a shiny rock, and it'd be a piece of glass, and that would hold my fascination for 15 or 20 minutes. But you, you learned to deal with it. You, you created things, and, and you, you made the most of it, but... but and that kind of pain was normal, the pain of boredom. And other kinds of pain were normal as well. My dad had me ride on a tractor uh, with him because he wanted somebody to keep him company. Um, and so I would sit on like this armrest kind of in the side of this tractor. There wasn't like an extra seat in the tractor. And you just kind of bounced along. And we did that for hours. And there's dust coming in and all that. And it was just, it was just kind of normal. You just kind of learned pain, just something you made your peace with. But 
But there's, there's this sense which some people get very comfortable. Some places, sometimes you can, you can have just things go so well for so long that we think that this is a right, that this belongs to us on this side of heaven. And that is not what happens in a fallen world. And so he wants you to understand that. And then he goes on in verse 9. He, he gives another command here. Remember before we, we, we went through that, all the times in the book of Ecclesiastes where he tells us about we should have joy in certain things. But here he gives another command. And he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, side of your eyes. But then he says this, Know that all these things God will bring into judgment. It is a real command. It is a real command to rejoice, to, to take joy in these things that God is giving you in life. He, he has an expectation that God actually wants you to have reasons for celebration. Think about it. This was built into the Hebrew calendar. There were festal times in which God's people would be drawn together. They would have extended celebrations and, and they would be together in the company of one another. And sometimes they were commanded to drink, even hard alcohol. They said, this is, this is the time to do that. You are supposed to celebrate. You're supposed to do it together. You're supposed to do it before my face. And so that expectation is there and it's right from God to, to, to want us to celebrate, but also to, ha- to temper that celebration. What does he say? He says that all these things will come into judgment. And so we can remember there that, that, that true spirituality is not fundamentalism. It, it's not, you know, um, somebody, somebody once said that, um, you know, they take the fun out of the word fundamentalism. Uh, but when you make a bunch of rules and, and you say that this is the only way to know God is by this multiplication of rules, that, that this is rules get us closer to God, you know that, that, that something's not there. You see how many times Jesus preaches against that. God has his law. And we should look to his law, not to all the man-made rules that go beyond that. But, but true spirituality is not found in fundamentalism. True spirituality is not asceticism. It's not just inflicting pain upon yourself as if some way God is pleased by that. That is not what God wants for you. He wants you to eat fried chicken. It's not a sin. To drink wine, to go to football games, to remodel your kitchen, which is painful, but lots of people desire that. He wants you to make a garden and enjoy the fruit of it. He wants you to love your work and to enjoy your marriage. All these things are good things that he commends, he celebrates. He says, are right. They have a goodness to them. But all of those enjoyments need that perspective. All those things are going to be judged by God. Verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. This is the distinction that the preacher makes in Ecclesiastes. He talks sometimes about life under the sun and sometimes about life under heaven. And life under the sun is just when we live just purely by our eyes, purely, purely by the sensory experience. Just what do we see? What looks good to us? What do we want to enjoy? Let me live life that way. He explores that. He, this is part of what the preacher is doing in Ecclesiastes. If you go to those early portions of the book and he's getting into all manner of things, he's, he's taking on slaves, he's taking on women, he's building big things, he's doing all sorts of things. And he's doing that in some way so that you don't have to. He's exploring this so he can tell you, you know what happens with all these things? You know what happens when you get a bunch of wives? You think that sounds like fun? It's not. It's a bad idea. And you know what happens whenever you build this massive project and you, and you, you create something that's so glorious? You have to hand that off to somebody else and they're going to break it. They're going to destroy it. Eventually it's going to fall into nothing. You know what happens whenever you read every book on the planet? You've taken in all the knowledge that there is and you've explored all wisdom. 
guess what? It, it, it's, it's not so glorious as you might think. It doesn't give you enjoyment. Sometimes you learn things that you wish you didn't know. And so he says, I'm going to go there for you. I'm going to do that for you. You get a virtual experience by what I do so that you can learn and profit from me in this book. And now what he's saying is after all those things and after living life in that way, after having gone down those roads, he says, let's think about this differently. Let's realize that God is going to bring all of these things into judgment. Our Lord taught us this. John 5, 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Judgment is part of the grand design. It's what God has always intended, is that there's going to be a judgment in Christ or against Christ. You are going to be judged by your works. And that's not a prohibition that's meant to take away pleasure or enjoyment, but it's meant to take away folly because we are a foolish people. Again, look at verse 10, chapter 11. He says, remove vexation, remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain or evil from your body for youth and the dawn of life are passing. This is what the Apostle Paul is is trying to teach us in Ephesians 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Then what does he say? He says, make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence, for Christ. Do you, see, do you see there the wisdom that he's given? He's expounding what was the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is setting out there. He's saying, let's, let's go the fuller direction on that. Let me explain to you what this really means. Your time is limited here. This is the time to make use of. It's meant to be redeemed. And we are not meant to be foolish with it. He says, walk carefully. Don't be a fool. Be wise. How? Redeem the time you have. Don't get drunk. Celebrate with, with, with your brothers and sisters in Christ as you're doing on the Lord's day. Thank God continually. Honor one another in the knowledge of who God is. And in the fear of the Lord, say, let me, let me recognize and desire the betterment of those people around me. He says, he says that you are at this apex experience on the Lord's day when you're gathered together to be under the word, to hear the, the law of God proclaim the redemption in Christ, to have it echoed through the walls of this building is to have that occupy your thoughts and to do so in the company of others. That you sing together. That you rejoice before God together. That you celebrate this invisible person who occupies this space, who is present with you at all times, but you are reminding each other that He is true, that He is real, that He is here, and that He matters. And it strengthens you. You see, this is one of the, the great duties in Scripture. Again, I told you the, the, the biggest commands to praise God, to, to, to have courage or not to fear. And one of the biggest commands, most common commands in Scripture is to remember the Lord. Why do we have to be commanded? Have you ever thought about this? Why, why are we commanded to do anything? I always ask the teenagers this. Why do, why do you have a command to take out the trash? Because you're not going to take out the trash unless somebody tells you to do it, Right? 
It doesn't, it's not something that we, most of us feel. When you're an adult, yeah, you feel it. You're like, oh, it's piling up. This is disgusting. As a teenager, not so much. And so you have to be commanded. Why do we have to be commanded to remember the Lord? Because we're not very good at doing it. And this is why it occurs so many times in Scripture. And so here's a good example. Turn your Bibles back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy 6.10. Deuteronomy 6, this is the, the second giving of the law. This is, this is uh, God speaking through Moses, preparing the generation that, that rose up after the, the, the fallen, the lost generation in the wilderness. These are the ones who are going into the promised land. And he wants to prepare them. He wants to equip them. He wants to frame their experience of going in and, and, and occupying the land, of, of conquering and subduing and possessing. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 6.10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, lest the Lord your God in the midst, uh, the God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You see, it recognizes in that moment that, that there's this, this here's, here's prosperity that is coming. Here, here's this, this massive conquest that's going to take place when these these people who are under God's God's wrath and judgment they have received a capital sentence they do not deserve to live because of their sin which is true ultimately for all of us in judgment is all of us deserve death and so this in their lifetimes is being enacted the people of God that he has called out of Egypt they're being called to be the executioners and he knows they're going to be successful because that's his plan they're going to inherit the land of the promise but he knows as they inherit the land that they are in great danger themselves of what of forgetting the Lord It doesn't matter if you have the deed to your house you 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 own the title you, there's no longer a mortgage there if you don't understand who really owns that house the things that, that you have, the things that you enjoy, those things that you have been privileged to come into the possession of are not because you're so great. And there's a tendency to think that. We, we see these, these sort of you know, work and reward relationships. This is part of God's design. The Proverbs is full of pointing us in that direction. But God wants to keep in mind for all of you at all times that it is His providence, His kindness towards you individually and corporately, that you are receiving these benefits. When you forget that, you forget the Lord and you fall in danger of His wrath and judgment. What does it mean to remember Him? It means to enjoy life and to be thankful to Him for it. It means to enjoy life by walking in His ways, remembering that you have a God, so that when you are enjoying yourself, when it's time to go to a party, that you know that Jesus has gone with you there. And you should be happy to bring him along so that however you celebrate, that you are happy to do to celebrate before the Lord. To remember the Lord, to remember your creator, to, to know how to live as if everything matters. And not so much what you eat and what you drink, but how you eat and how you drink. 
Not so much what you wear, but how you wear it with modesty and humility. Not so much who you are with, but how you are with them. How do you interact with those people around you? So the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he calls you to remember. He calls you to remember and he calls you to, to look ahead. Look at verse 12. This is, a, this is an interesting chapter. Some, some of you, you may have been, as we're going through that, you're, you're probably asking, what in the world is he talking about? What is all this with, with clouds and cords and grinders and windows and streets and, and all of this? And some of you might know, if you're 20, this means nothing to you. If you're 30, this means nothing to you. If you're 40, you're starting to see something here. And if you're 50, this becomes incredibly clear. He's teaching you about the future, what's going to happen. He's teaching you that there is a clock which is winding down. And so let me just point you to some of the things. If you're not getting the metaphors here, he's, he's talking about this, this, this dimness that comes on. Some of you have reading glasses. Some of you have experienced, yeah, there's a lot of you out there. Everybody's pointing, yep, there we go. You, you wear these for a reason. And, and you go to dinner at some of this nice romantic place downtown, and they bring out a menu, and you look and you say, I have no idea what's going on there. And you put the glasses on, and you still don't know. And then you reach down, and you are thankful for technology, and you pull out your smartphone, and you start to use the flashlight, and you feel ridiculous. But it's because the eyesight gets dim. You need more light to make these things work. He talks about this issue with the grinders. And again, we're thankful for Matt, thankful for modern dental technology. It's not as much a problem as Charleston it was in the ancient world. But teeth disappear from the mouth. The grinders go. There's less hard things in your mouth to rub against. Are there hard things to, to, to masticate, to break down food, to swallow it, to get the full nutrition out of it? You, the things that you eat become fewer and fewer over time. Food becomes a lot less exciting when that's the case. One of my favorite ones is in verse 4. The sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. Some of you have hit this stage in life where you go to bed and maybe you fall asleep and then two hours later you're awake and you're not really sure why. And you can remember those times as a teenager where you could sleep till noon. And now you, you can't sleep for two or three hours at a time before you're awakened by something. And it doesn't take much at all. The sound of a bird walking can wake you up. He talks about the loss of enjoyment. Not only is there sleeplessness, there's a loss of hearing. Uh, the, 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 I'm not quite there yet, but he talks about they are in verse five, they are afraid also of what it is. Um, of, they're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. Loss of balance, reaching up for things becomes, uh, becomes a dangerous thing. Fear of falling becomes a reality. It goes on and talks about a diminished appetite, diminished appetite not only for food, but all sorts of other things that you used to have an appetite for. Those, those things go away. There is a change of life that takes place. There is a clock that is winding down. These things that once functioned so well don't function the way that they should anymore. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 90, verse 10, The years of our life are 70, and even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly Away. 
you get weaker, your brain forgets more easily, your abilities are diminished, you don't enjoy those things that they used to, the way in which you used to enjoy them. And so the preacher says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Does this mean old people can't live to the glory of God? It's not what he's saying. But if we looked at verses 6 and 7, we, we find out where he's going with this. Look, again, you could, you could imply here, remember your creator. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern. What, what is that talking about? Again, all of these things, if you look at those things, each one of those is, a, is, a, is an object. It's actually some kind of a technology that is being used for some important function, and it is serving that function for which it is designed, the, the pitcher is going to the fountain. It's going to get water, and that water is intended to go and to refresh someone and to do them good. But what happens to that pitcher at the fountain? It's shattered. The silver cord is not only loosed, it's, it's severed. The golden bowl is broken. It's splintered apart. It's not going to be put back together. The will at the well for drawing up the water is broken. None is able to come. And it's, it's, it's a picture of a sudden and a catastrophic ending. Ouch, what a terrible thing to think of. And these are things that are desirable, silver and gold, things that are, that are intended to, to, to function well, and, to, and, and yet they don't. They fall apart at this moment where they're most needed, at the top of their game. I remember Payne Stewart, this incredible golfer, when he was 42 years old. Steve Prefontaine, 24 years old, one of the greatest middle distance runners of all time. And even these older brothers that, that we've been remembering, Harry Reeder, Tim Keller, their brains were so active. There was so much more that they had to give. They were the most, at this point in their life, it's never been easier to listen to what they had to say, to know how much wisdom was there, and yet, gone. Every person expects more time, and yet this picture that he gives here says, you know, you may not get more time. It may be just like that, that it's all over, and you don't have to be old and go to the other extreme where everything breaks down. It may just come at the height of your place. Verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. What's that mean? Well, how were you created? Adam comes from Adama. Adama means ground. We are all earthlings. We are men of dirt. We come out of the ground. That's how we were formed. And that is that to which we will go back. The Spirit will return to God who gave it. We have to have this recognition that this body is temporary here. And then that brings him to the final assessment of what he says in verse 8. Vapor of vapors, says the preacher, all is vapors. It's all ephemeral. It's all passing. It's all going on. It is a temporary situation. And so how do we respond to that? Well, there's, there's two versions of dying in this text. There's the, the slow winding down, and there's the sudden and the catastrophic. And whichever it is, it, 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 it's this reality that that time is coming, and we don't anticipate it enough. Not that we need to sit around contemplating our, 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 our death all the time, but have you ever heard of a, a memento memori? Um, a, 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 you see this sometimes, a skull that sits upon a person's desk, and you think, what is wrong with that person? It's some kind of you know, emo skater or certain, you know, what, what's, what's going on there? But, but the reason men have those is to, to remember that they are men of dust, that they have a terminal end. Their life in, the, in this body is going to end. It's not going to go on forever, and you can't live as if it is. 
And so here, here's the question for you. Here's what you need to ponder. How much time do you have left to glorify God? Because here's the reality. You are running out of opportunities to glorify God in this body. You only have so many opportunities to do that. And then as time goes on, think about this, the way that this goes on, at some point you're going to run out of strength to serve. All those years you, you, you could have been setting up chairs to get the sanctuary back in order. Instead, you, you drifted off out in the parking lot and said, you know, I really got to get to lunch. And, and you, then one day that ability to, to move those chairs when you come under conviction to do that isn't there because you can't stand up straight. There may be a time when, when there is no opportunity to show courage, to stand up for Christ, to witness to a person, to tell them about Jesus at the risk that you might offend them or the, the risk that they might think you're weird. At some point, there's going to come a time where there's no lust to fight against. And saying no to ungodliness is not going to be an option anymore, but you don't get credit for it just because the desire is gone. And that frames really everything. Paul says it very well for us in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Are you doing that? Are you glorifying God in your time? Are you redeeming the days which God has put before you? Are you, are you making choices to say no to ungodliness? Denying its power over you because it has been defeated in you because of the work Christ has accomplished for you? Were you acting as if that's not true? Are you not counting yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus? Are you putting off serious devotion? Time to truly meditate on God's Word and saying, you know, I'm going to wait until I'm older, retired, have time to sit around, then I'll start to study God's Word. Friend, that's, that's too late. You will have missed a lifetime of glorifying God just by, by submitting to His Word, hearing it, and reading it. Are you putting off being a serious member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of plugging into the body of Christ, which He has commanded you not to forsake assembling together with? Are you putting off prayer as a later thing, as a little thing, a thing that's, that can just be an afterthought? Are you putting off hospitality because it's just not convenient yet, but at some point we're going to have the perfect arrangement in our home and the perfect schedule that makes it such that, that we, then we can really begin to have people in fellowship. We're almost there. We're just not quite there. Are you putting off working on your marriage? Thinking, ah, maybe if I ignore it, it'll just go away and get better. It's probably going to be fine if we stop thinking about it so much. Are you putting off obedience because you're enjoying your sin? You're seeing, you're sensing, you're enjoying all of these things that are put before you. And they, and they, they are your delight in this life is to entertain yourself, to seek out pleasure. But that pleasure is sin. It's not that which is God designed for you to enjoy. Are you in love with the world? That which we are not to love. That which does not love us but hates us. How can we love it so much? What's his command to you? He says, dear children, remember your creator. 
in the days of your youth, in the days of your old age, it doesn't matter when, but remember. Remember who He is. Remember what He has done. Remember how He has saved you and at what cost. And we have a perfect opportunity tonight. We will come now to the, the Lord's table. And there we have that command that we are to remember the Lord Jesus until He comes, His act for us. So let's pray and let us prepare our hearts to be ministered to by Christ.